the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We have another wonderful show for you. We will talk in a few moments with John Schlafly about his weekly column. And we'll also talk with John Schweppe. John Schweppe is the Director of Public Policy and Government Affairs at the American Principles Project, AmericanPrinciples.org, as I recall. And John Schweppe is uh, doing a bit of a victory lap today because they, American Principles Project Action, I think they're a, a pack aside, they backed J.D. Vance because they have something called the Big Family Pledge. The Big Family Pledge. We'll talk about that in a moment. Please don't forget, by the way, to like and share Pass this on to others. Spread the word. We really appreciate it. We have such great guests. Uh, it really helps when you visit ProAmericaReport.com and pass on to others the segments that you've heard and liked, uh, the podcast, and also uh, please sign up for the daily email, the daily wink right there at ProAmericaReport.com. Every morning at 8 a.m. East Coast time, you'll get what you need to know, the wink in your inbox, and a few other links. It's a great piece uh, for your use to start your day. So, how shall we start the show today? What you need to know, the wink, is this. There is hand-wringing across America uh, in the salons of the left and the so-called never-Trumpers. Why? Because on Tuesday, uh, J.D. Vance, in particular, won his race for a nomination as a Republican in Ohio for the U.S. Senate. Now, the reason this one was big is because J.D. Vance was actually facing not one, not two, not three, no, excuse me, not one, not two, but three pretty qualified candidates, uh, pretty capable candidates. Josh Mandel was the former statewide office holder in Ohio, I think Secretary of State. Uh, state Senator Gibbons, I believe his name was. He was in the state legislature. And then another guy named Dolan, who I think was also in the state legislature. But all three of those candidates had real money, had real um campaign chops they'd run before they'd won races and uh they were they were getting support in different ways that actually um, while well, i say it jane timken the former uh, state republican party chair was on the ballot and she got an endorsement i forget now who she got an endorsement from maybe mike pence or somebody like that so but about three weeks ago donald trump decided it's jd vance J.D. Vance is an author. He is a uh, business guy. He'd never been in public office, but he ran uh, as an unapologetic populist. Now, this is consistent with who he was because he wrote a book called Hillbilly Elegy about his own childhood in the uh, in the I think the uh, uh, in poverty, I think over in the mountains, maybe of uh, on the on the eastern part of Ohio and talked about how his life was pretty rough. And when he went back there after going and getting a higher education, he said, you know, w w there's a lot that's uh, slipping away and there's not people standing up for our working class voters and all that. Now, his book was very popular. He was on all the places, Oprah Winfrey, all these places. But as he got a little bit uh, removed from his fame of the book, he became a little bit more of a populist. Now, he also was critical of Donald Trump in 2016. Like a lot of people, a lot of people that should have known better were listening to the powers that be 
instead of Phyllis Schlafly, my old boss, and me and John Schlafly and some others who were saying, um, Trump's the real deal. Not only can he win, but he'd be good for us. And <clears throat> so they were, they were, J.D. Uh, Vance did say some things back then, but three weeks ago, Donald Trump endorsed J.D. Vance and J.D. Vance surged. He surged. Now, let's be clear. He had lots of money spent on him in support of him. There were big donors, but he still had to win. One of the things that we'll talk in a few moments with John Schweppe is he signed, J.D. Vance did, a pledge called the Big Family Pledge, which had components of it that I would say are pro-family, uh, pro-life, uh, using uh, the uh, uh, the American uh, 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 tax system to support the family, uh, protecting against transgender athletes in sports, uh, the boys coming over to play in the girls' sports, and on and on and on a few more. But most importantly, the sort of America first mentality both in terms of fighting, in terms of fighting for the people, and in terms of policies that put the people first. J.D. Vance won for U.S. Senate in the face of, he, he was not a big fan of a lot of the actions to arm the Ukrainians, Ukrainians and to have a proxy war with Russia. He just said, it's not our priority. He said, when I look at America first, I don't see it as a priority. And he won. Now, a word of caution, he won with about 27% of the vote. So there were lots of other voters who went for the other guys and gals. But the fact is he won. And the fact is he surged in the last two and a half weeks since Trump endorsed him three weeks ago. And the fact is he won full-throated as an America First guy. Now he's headed to a a general election matchup with a Democrat congressman, uh, Tim Ryan, who is now trying to look like he's trying to say he's, uh, you know, not so liberal, but he's liberal. And he's a Democrat, and that's all all I have to say right now. But what you need to know is that the media is doing... A couple of things right now. They're trying desperately not to write the truth, but they have to. The truth is Trump endorsed a guy and the guy won. They're trying to not have to talk about it. But the second thing they're doing is trying to explain it away somehow. Because the simple fact is, and they're saying things like, well, you know, it might have been a a, a one-off, you know, J.D. Vance or this and that. The fact is, and what you need to know, is it's Trump's party. It is now a full-throated Trump. There will be exceptions to the... There'll be some people that are never Trumpers or have positions that are different than Donald Trump. That's true. That's always true in a party. But the fact is, it's, a, it's Trump's party. It's an America first party. It's a party that will secure the borders. It's a, you cannot run and be a candidate that isn't saying, put America first. It, at the border, international affairs, in the role of government in our lives... Put America first. Stop the madness of CRT that's, that's putting somebody else before our, for our, our people. Stop the madness of transgender sports. It's putting some sort of left-wing ideology, some of, of sort of whatever it is, ahead of the people. That's what happened in Ohio. That, and no matter what the media says, what you need to know is it's Trump's party. So now look at Trump's party. Uh, look at what his positions were. Look at what he stood for. Look at the energy behind him. And every single day, we're discovering that Trump was better than we thought. And I'm not just saying this is, I'm not just saying it for me. I'm saying every single day, you will see voters, you'll see people looking up saying, huh, this is a mess. We've got a we've got inflation going through the roof and we've got a president who wants to talk about, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, where we're going to build battery charging stations for cars. 
we need to drill, baby, drill. We need to get out of the way of, of energy producers so we can stop being dependent on the world. We have a president right now who is spending wants to spend $33 billion in the Ukraine, and more and more, the Ukraine war is being called, we are being called, uh, uh, we're fighting a proxy war with Russia. America does not need a proxy war with anybody. It's crazy. And that's what this president's doing. So we got inflation, gas prices, war all over the world, confusion at home, and we are not seeing the kinds of election reform that we should expect to see after such a contentious pair of elections. Remember, 2016 was contentious not only for the Bernie Sanders people who felt they got it stolen, but the Hillary Clinton people who thought they, who said they got it stolen. And then 2020, this, in other words, most of the country in the last five years, 85, 90% has felt like the national election was off base. And what have we done about it? Nothing. Nothing significant. We've not done anything to check the source codes. We've not anything. So my point here is what you need to know is it's Trump's party. Back to that. I sorry, I got off, off, off track. And when he puts his, his uh, oomph behind somebody, it's not a guarantee. You still have to be a candidate. You still have to win, run your race. You still have to get support. You still have to build things out. But the fact is, you look at the positions and the style of people, and you will see that the positions and style of people are directionally in the way of Trump. It's Trump's party. It's America first. That's what you can count on. That's what's happening right now. In America, that's what happened with J.D. Vance. And uh, that's what you need to know. All right, we'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, don't forget visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the emails and all the rest. Be right back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with John Schlafly. John Schlafly writes a weekly column over at townhall.com, our sister site, also available in the archives at phyllisschlafly.com, all of John's columns. He writes in with his brother, Andy. They continue the tradition of a weekly column that their mother, the late Phyllis Schlafly, did for decades and decades. Uh, Always helpful. And John, I do have to say, though, one of the things I remember Phyllis Schlafly talking about was trying to write a column for a few days later and waiting as long as you could to write your column because and, and and remember phyllis would be writing her column that would run on like a was it a monday or tuesday and it would run and she'd be writing it like hours before because you want to be timely right you want to try to see it's not just breaking news but also you want to predict uh what's coming well your column that's out uh, biden's vote buying scheme uh shift student debt to taxpayers it's pretty good but before we get to it i got to ask you john what are your thoughts about the leaked decision uh, from the Supreme Court that sounds like it might overturn Roe v. Wade. How, how do you how are you coming down on that? Well, my we explored writing about that, but uh, we still don't know who made the leak and what that person's motive was. And right. we feel that that will come out in a short order. And by and when we know that, then there'll be a much more to say. Right. OK, uh, well, I see well, well, one one. You know, there's suspicion has fallen on one particular clerk, but, uh, you know, that's not confirmed. So we can't go with it. Well, I, I mean, I think you can, I, as, as I know, you and I were discussing or at least uh, texting and, and actually Andy was in the loop on that. Forget the um, substance of the of the of the decision, because who knows if that's really the decision. Um, although a couple of the people that I trust said, you know, you shouldn't wait now. You should if whatever the decision is, it should come out because no. you're really hanging. You're really hanging in the balance and frankly, hanging out in in some, uh, you know, in some danger. The five who may want to vote that way. 
Well, we, you know, we know that the opinion that was released was written in February and are co completed in February, and it represents Justice Alito's opinion, but he's only one justice. Right. And what we don't know is whether he has four other justices willing to sign on that magnificent opinion that he wrote. Hmm. All right. So back to your column, John, uh, the vote buying scheme, you're talking about student loans and the massive student debt to taxpayers. John, hasn't this been sort of talked about forever on one practical level? Is it possible to do this politically? I mean, because the blowback is unbelievable. Everyone who has either paid off their school loans or never took any are going to be hacked off. And I don't think we've uh, gotten to the point where enough of the country has student loan debt that it's a majority. Is it, what, what am I missing here? Well, I think that's exactly right, Ed, but the progressives are demanding this. And as you know, the progressives have been very disappointed with Joe Biden. He's got given them rhetoric, but he hasn't really delivered on what they wanted. Uh, and so this may be the only way that Biden thinks, and I don't think it's legal to do it, but he may use his pen to take some action which would temporarily uh, give the progressives what they've been asking for. Uh, John, we're talking with John Schlafly. John, I noticed in here um, a couple things I wanted to we're look. Um, we're talking about his column about student debt. Uh, student debt tops one point seven billion with a B billion dollars. OK, and um, it's racked up by 13 percent of the population. And as you point out, due in large part to overpriced, dramatically higher cost of higher education over the last 20 years, 25 years. Um John, during the Trump administration, I think, correct me on the specifics, there was an inc there was a tax passed on uh, the um, on the endowments of some of these universities. I mean, I think Harvard uh, has a 50 billion with a B dollar endowment. Uh, I know Washington University in St. Louis, uh, where you attended law school, I believe, uh, or maybe did an advanced degree there in uh, in uh, in law. Uh, LL, uh, yeah, LLM. They have uh, 15 billion with a B dollars in their endowment. Wouldn't one place to go back be back to the higher education? They're the ones that made the money on it. Well, you're right. And it's been conservatives have suggested for years that the institutions of higher education who have received the benefit of the student loan program should contribute to the cost of alleviating this tremendous debt overhang. Um, uh, the problem is that, I mean, part of the problem is that so many students took out debt but didn't get anything of value for that debt. And now they're saddled with debt even though many of millions of them never got a degree and nor did they learn a useful skill. And so their incomes really did not increase enough to be able to support this debt. So it's a problem it, and the debt can't be discharged in bankruptcy due to what Joe Biden did um, when he was a senator 20 years ago. And uh, so this, the 1.7 billion is a tremendous overhang, which is retarding and, uh, and affecting and preventing many young people from getting on with their lives. It's a problem. But forgiveness, forgiveness, just a blanket forgiveness is not the answer. Well, I think we agree on that. We agree that whatever the cultural um, uh, thing that got us here, uh, putting these young people with lots of debt where it, it impacts their 
you know, whether they're going to buy a home, whether they're going to get married, certainly whether they're going to have children, all these things. Uh, John, would one, would one of the um, changes, I think you referred to this in there, would it be changing the bankruptcy laws? I mean, there is a, there is usually if you, nobody wants to, people should understand you don't go to bankrupt or bankruptcy because it's inconvenient to have things you owe. It, it really is sort of a bottom of the, uh, you know, a bottom of the trough situation where you cannot handle it and you go to bankruptcy, but wouldn't one change be just to let some of these worst cases be uh, allowed into bankruptcy and discharged. And why isn't that possible? Because the debt in, in some it's debt, the debt's mostly held by the federal government. So that would be who loses out. Why, why isn't that a possibility? Well, the thought was, and uh, of course, uh, that uh, allowing students to discharge their student loans in bankruptcy was would create a bad incentive. And we already have, you know, the bankruptcy industry is already, um, you know, a lot of problems in it. Have people who don't pay their bills, um, and uh, so you. It's not, I don't think that's really a good answer. Hmm. Uh, I think the better answer is to pursue, uh, you know, to force the colleges who have raised their tuition rates to, you know, to, to at a rate far greater than inflation to have some skin in the game. Mm-hmm. The colleges are taking this money. They're allowing students to uh, basically waste time uh, not pursuing a useful or marketable skill, you know, study, you know, gender studies and all of that stuff. Uh, and uh, they are the ones who are, I think, best able to get a handle on this. Uh, but uh, you know, the, the colleges are very powerful and in Washington, and they've been able to completely escape any responsibility for this debt crisis. You know, conservatives have talked about this, but they've been unable to get anything done along those lines. Uh, John, we're talking with John Schlafly. You know, John, a, a few months ago, I had a businessman on the radio show. I mean, more than that, I guess, almost almost a year ago. Um, and he had this. He had a, a conversation. He had a a thought on this a question. His idea was that. Um, you make the uh, the universities so there's a loan. Student takes a loan. The the uh, students were uh, the student has to pay the interest, and the and the school pays the loan. In other words, get 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 everybody with some skin in the game. Because if you get nothing, if, you get, if the students have no skin in the game, then it's free money too, right? I mean, we have a situation where you, you need to you need to continue to create a cost to students for making bad decisions. If you go to a school take massive amounts of loan loans, don't get a, a, a meaningful education and a job, you're being dumb. Over time, that should correct. Uh, but some kind of hybrid there that gets everybody with some skin in the game. I don't know if you have a thought on that. Every Well, when it comes to debt, you're certainly correct that everyone involved in debt needs to have skin in the game. Because, you know, otherwise, you know, you know, the whole debt system, the credit system of our country doesn't work. And, uh, but, but, also, part of the problem is the, you know, the assumption that many people have is that college is the route to financial right. success for everyone. Right. Now, you know, we've got to, people don't like to consider this, but higher education is only for above average people hmm. in terms of their intelligence, their skills, their preparation, uh, 
you know, and we can't, you know, the notion that everyone needs to go to college is wrong. You know, half the population, the lower half, you might say, and, you know, is is not prepared to benefit from college. And so they shouldn't be given or encouraged to take on debt in order to go there when they're not going to be able to profit from a college education. Yeah, that, that's a, the, the interesting problem as a matter of the culture, John, though, is, um, you know, we it, it's sort of in us now that the GI Bill lifted a whole bunch of people that couldn't get out of the lower, you know, working class into the middle class and upper and upwardly. And it was it's associated with that. Right. I mean, um, my father, when he went to school, went to school, you know, uh, and uh, lived at home, went to school and then uh, and, and didn't. I went to college, went away to college. Right. And lived on this campus that was something I, you know different than what existed for my father. And, and as the things gone forward, the the conventional, the cultural sense is everybody deserves college. I agree with you. It's not, it was never meant to be that. Um, and more importantly, now it's sort of, that's maybe what we're not talking about yet. Maybe you comment quickly on this. The colleges have become not particularly rigorous, not particularly helpful. And you go and do a major that doesn't give you any sets of skills that are meaningful to succeed in life, let alone in a business uh, or in a uh, in a job that gives you uh, enough money, that's another part of the problem. It's a it's a failure if you if I said give me four years, take a loan, it will it will give you certain skills that give you uh, that allow you to do X amount of income. Okay, but it's not happening. Well, that's right, and uh, many of the you know co- many colleges now, of course, not the not the top the top most competitive you know hundred colleges. Uh, they're kind of in a class by themselves, but we have over two thousand other colleges which are not so competitive to get into and not so selective. And what those colleges are doing is to first uh, providing remedial courses for right, right, many right. of their entering students. Right, well, right. you know, people should not have federal loans to basically take study what they should have learned in high school. Yeah. yeah, that's what's happening for many of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I tell you, you go to go to the community college and look at the number of courses they teach, and and uh, uh, I mean, literally hundreds of classes of remedial reading, math, all the basics. All right, John Schlafly. Again, the column is Biden's vote buying scheme. Uh, a colon shift student debt to taxpayers. John and Andy Schlafly over at townhall.com, also available on our website, the Phyllis Schlafly, phyllisschlafly.com. They're archived there. Uh, thank you, John, as always. Um, and we will take a break. Uh, we'll be right back. And don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com to listen to all of it, uh, John's interviews about his column and then find his column at PhyllisSchlafly.com. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And very cool thing happened this morning. Very early, um, I got an email uh, from one of the folks that helps uh, book guests all over the country. And the news, of course, we talked about it earlier in the program, is that J.D. Vance won his race for uh, the U.S. Senate in Ohio, uh, the primary. And so I got an email and um, the uh, the person said, hey, there's John Schweppe, who is the uh, Director of Policy and Government Affairs over at the American Principles Project was available to come on the show. And so we grabbed him right away. So welcome, John. How are you? Hey, Ed. Thanks so much for having me. Well, so I, here's what I want to ask you, because you've been around policy and seen politics. You get a guy like J.D. Vance. He's running in a primary with at least three other 
pretty high quality candidates, meaning they had money, they had some name ID, and then there was two or three more. So you're always looking to stand out. And I noticed that uh, J.D. Vance signed this American Principles Project, the Big Family Pledge. So first, tell me about the Big Family Pledge. And my point here is that when, as you know, and I both know, when you're in a race, a primary race, you're trying to distinguish yourself any way you can with voters. And so you're saying, hey, this is what I'm about. And I think this pledge is a good uh, way to show people who Vance is. So tell me about the pledge and tell me about what happened in Ohio. No, that's right. So we have a PAC. Uh, which, you know, we do a lot of political spending. So it's helpful for us to, you know, figure out, okay, you know, which of these candidates is with us, which isn't. And so we, we created this big family pledge uh, a few months ago. Basically, the pledge is, you know, are you going to fight on women's sports? Are you going to fight against sex changes for kids? Uh, are you pro-life? You know, all these different things. And, you know, we want to make sure that these people are for real. And so we've used this, especially in targeted races. We were involved in the uh, Texas gubernatorial primary, and uh, all of Greg Abbott's opponents had signed it. Mm. And, you know, while Abbott didn't sign it, ultimately, I think making those issues relevant helped lead to him yeah. uh, taking pretty aggressive action in the state and, and you know, calling uh, the sex changes for kids uh, child abuse. Mm. So, you know, this is this is the power of politics. And so we're trying to use this pledge for that reason. And of course, you know, we, we saw what was going on in Ohio, uh, you know, wanted to, to to offer that. So JD Vance signed it. And I kid you not, uh, you know, a few minutes later, uh, Terry got a, a call from one of the other candidates who was like, Hey man, like I want to sign it too. And it's like, okay, you can sign it too. You know, this is right. great. So, uh, but, but the thing with JD is I, I think, you know, number one, like obviously he had the president's endorsement. That's huge. Um, but I think for, for those of us who are uh, social conservatives, for those of us who are hoping to see, you know, a little bit of a realignment away from prioritizing corporations towards prioritizing families. I think he really represents and embodies all of that. And if we're trying to build this multiracial working class coalition that we, we see going into 2024, where we can be successful and win the presidency, uh, I think JD is a big part of that. So it's huge. Uh, very excited about his uh, win last night. Yeah, it was uh, it was amazing. And by the way, let me do a couple of things. AmericanPrinciplesProject.org and go there and see the general uh, gist of the American Principles Project. As uh, John Schweppe just said, he's the uh, policy director and and uh, wears a couple different hats. I think I'll get it right in a minute, John. But uh, yeah, director of policy and government affairs. You know, there's also this pack attached to it. So um, the big family pledge. Yeah, you know, uh, no less an authority on pledges than uh, Grover Norquist once said, John, that um, you use a pledge as an exoskeletal system that you're saying, hey, we're going to we know when you get you, you know, lobbyists, you get uh, donors, you start to shift and you say, hey, look, around you, I want to say you're for uh, you're for these things. We're going to hold you to that. And, and, you know, certainly in a primary, it's an opportunity to shape things. Uh, what do you think, though? How do you think the people that are want to be tense about the libertarian movement versus the conservative movement. I, the conservative movement, in a weird way, it doesn't work as well anymore because I was on the Republican National Committee. I was chairman of the Missouri Republican Party a few years ago, and you couldn't be uh, against open borders. I was. You couldn't be, you know, against uh, immigration on demand. You couldn't be, uh, you know, against some of the uh, so, uh, the uh, movements towards uh, moderate social positions. I, mean, I was. It's one of the reasons I wasn't so popular. But Trump sh Trump shifted a lot of that really fast. And so conservative now means a guy like J.D. Vance. He sounds like a protectionist from 10 years ago. Right. He sounds he's willing to use government not as a libertarian, but to say, I want to incentivize family success. I want to incentivize the things that matter to uh, working class folks. It's, it's a really funny time, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, I think JD is where the people are. I think Trump was where the people are, and you know, unfortunately, a lot of the DC think tanks and and you know groups out here, they the libertarians had an outsized influence in DC, but they really weren't representative of what's on the ground with voters. I'll, I'll give you an example. Ed. Yeah, um, I was working on uh, Bobby Schilling's campaign, Terry Schilling's dad uh, uh-huh. passed away last year, but I was working on his campaign in 2012 and then in 2014. And we saw Republican voters, we were actually getting hit on free trade. And uh, the Democrat was attacking us for shipping jobs to China and India. And we actually saw that those attacks were working best on Republican voters. Huh. And we were like, that's weird, because everything we thought we knew was that Republicans supported free trade. That's what we learned from the Cato Institute and all of these groups <laughs> out in D.C. Right. And it was not reflected in how voters actually felt. So I think Trump obviously tapped into that. And now we have to, to adjust. And, and it's going to be, you know, maybe a little unnatural for some of these Republicans who have been out here for 20 years. But we really shouldn't be serving the Chamber of Commerce anymore. We should be serving workers. Well, and we're talking with John Schweppe, and uh, he, he is um, he is, is of Twitter feed. I want to, uh, uh, John, I want to uh, highlight that because on Twitter, at John Schweppe, uh, you can see that he's American Principles Project, uh, uh, the uh, policy director, government affairs director. I noticed a couple days ago, I think it's a couple days ago, could have been yesterday, uh, a, a little bit, of, you, you retweeted Claire Lehman. Claire Lehman, for people who don't know, she's a, a the editor, I guess the founder, publisher uh, of, I think she's based in Australia, but Quillette, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of, yeah, she's Australian, there's a lot of interesting writing there and a lot of things uh but she uh tweeted this if you routinely deride the elites the laptop class and the pmc whether you like it or not you're promoting a marxist worldview and you retweeted it you retweeted that and said you know uh, darn i'll say that because i'm family radio and then i guess it's time to seize the means of production but this is what i mean there's and she's not actually she's not actually an establishment a Republican conservative type. She's kind of, I don't know what to call her, but she's not, you know, she's not quite the chamber of commerce, but it is a, there's odd uh, uh, opponents in the moment when you're talking about why JD Vance won, what the American people need and ultimately what Trump did. Yeah. Well, I think again, it's really easy in DC uh, for laptop class. Oh, I'm not allowed to say that, but laptop (laughs) class people uh, to kind of, you know, try to see everything as black and white. And the reality is, if you talk to Republican voters like ever, you find that Republican voters are absolutely capitalist, but they're thinking about small businesses. They're thinking about uh, innovation and entrepreneurship. They're not thinking about Amazon. Like they're, they're not thinking, oh, these companies, you know, if we, if we do anything to them, like that could be really bad. Like that's a totally DC, you know, I would say corporate capture thing. And so, um, you know, I think it's just really important to represent the interests of our, of our constituents. You know, I, I just mentioned Amazon and big tech, big tech is censoring conservatives left and right. Uh, you know, I, this is family radio, so I won't be, but to heck right. with their, you know, property rights or whatever they're saying. I mean, like the reality is that speech and our right to self-government should trump that. And so I, I think this is what's happening. And again, last night, uh, you know, Vance winning, I, I just think it's a real uh, a signal that this this could be happening across the board. And this feels, and I know, Ed, you know this probably because you were a part of it, but this feels a lot like the Tea Party. And I'm really excited to see where it goes. That's right. And, and, and I, I think that's actually very help, uh, helpful, John. We're talking with John Schweppe again uh, about uh, what happened in Ohio's uh, J.D. Vance's win and, and uh, particularly about the American Principles Project and uh, this big family pledge. The interesting challenge after the Tea Party, uh, there was lots of energy, but it kind of got 
spun out a lot of ways. There wasn't a unifying vision. And, and in some ways, Trump became a vision when he was president, came to sort of what people were behind. He's no longer president. Maybe he runs again. Maybe he doesn't. It's kind of an interesting thing. I did notice. <laughs> I don't think they were happy about it as someone was writing that, uh, you know, J.D. Vance is really young and there's a handful of others that won their primaries. These are guys. This is the next generation. I mean, it's not now just it's not only Josh Hawley, who's in his 40s now, who's uh, looks like they have a chance to be in office. So maybe that's the changing of the guard. The question is, how do you focus it? That's why I actually I think things like uh, the big family pledge you guys are doing and driving people towards some concrete principles, because the Tea Party, some people were there for the the, the anti-stimulus, anti-Obamacare, you know, some were there because they just were fed up. It, it never got cohesive. That's the problem. And I think that's something to be uh, learned from. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is why groups like ours, groups like yours, I think we are focusing all these things focus on the family but like yeah. really like that's what we're trying to do and i i think when we when we look at these things like okay the family is our most important constituency and that's not just good for america like that's a practical political consideration like families vote republican and so when you start to look at things like that then you know you start to think about like okay well what am i more concerned about here like am i concerned about corporate profits? Am I concerned about, you know, the ability for some of these companies to do business in China? Or am I concerned about communities evaporating and and manufacturing, leaving these towns and leaving, you know, drugs in their wake and all these different things. And so I think it just starts to fundamentally alter, you know, your worldview changes. And then with it, what you focus on changes. And I I don't think the new right or whatever we call ourselves, I, I don't think it's necessarily that we're really fundamentally changing what conservatism is. I think we're just adapting to new problems and, and trying to solve them. And Ronald Reagan would have done, would, would have been right where we are right now. Yeah, it's certainly, I think that's right. And I think more importantly, you, um, when we say people say, Oh, you're changing this or changing that, you know, you look towards the basics. What is it? What is it that works in America? And what is it's on our constitution and what founded in our constitution? You know, what, what, what is it that, uh, kind of, um, we grew out of? You can't be, you know, you, you can't be, uh, uh, an acorn and pretend you're not an oak tree. I mean, you know, we are Americans. We have a certain, this is one of the problems with the far left. You can't, you cannot live in a place where lots Lying and power is all that matters. In America, you have to rely on truth and you have to have principles, a constitution and the rule of law. That's the challenge we're in. All right, John Schweppe, I'm out of time. John Schweppe is the uh, policy director of government affairs over at American Principles Project. He is taking a victory lap today uh, because uh, J.D. Vance and some others uh, won. And I'll put all this up on social media. You can look at what they're talking about, American Principles Project, their big family pledge and some other uh, of their uh, policy ideas. So thank you, John, very much. Thanks so much, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. Again, ProAmericaReport.com is where you can check all this out. I'll put it over there and especially this segment. And we'll take a break and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. As the COVID pandemic subsides, the tyranny that exploited it continues. Unfair termination of servicemen, disruption of the Major League Baseball season, and even interference with parental rights has resulted from vaccine mandates. Liberals are retreating on their mask mandates, but they're doubling down on vaccines. This is because vaccine mandates are a gateway to implementing a socialist agenda. As shown by the military discharge of personnel, vaccine mandates limit the ability to serve our country or even earn a living. 
The Army recently openly declared that it had involuntarily discharged three soldiers for not receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. Other branches of our armed services have done likewise. The Navy fired more than 500 sailors. The Air Force has terminated 200, and the Marine Corps has discharged over a 1,000 Marines. It hurts our military readiness to lose these experienced and dedicated volunteers. Donald Trump, who leads Joe Biden by 43 points among unvaccinated voters, according to a YouGov Yahoo News poll, urged the next Congress to restore these honorable service members with back pay. Offering the COVID-19 vaccine to servicemen is one thing, but requiring it is far from justified. The ability to recruit willing volunteers is a crucial part of military readiness. At a time when so few young Americans are even physically able to qualify for military service, why would we be trying so hard to make it so difficult to serve? The bureaucrats in charge of military recruitment think that cartoon advertisements showcasing gay parents is going to drive up recruitment numbers. But that shows just how out of touch these people are with reality. Meanwhile, our adversaries like China and Russia focus their recruitment efforts on scenes of burly men flying fighter jets and training with deadly weapons, which have traditionally been far more effective at military recruitment than social justice nonsense. I'm all for America having the fastest jets and the most bullets. But those things don't help us win a war if no one's willing or able to fight. Let's stop kicking good servicemen out for refusing the COVID vaccine and start recruitment strategies that actually work. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. America is safe only when America is strong. Our national defense requires the most modern technology and best trained soldiers. And there should be no social politics or idle threats coming out of Washington. At PhyllisSchlafly.com, we take this work very seriously. Please visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, uh, we are going to talk tomorrow. I actually recorded, pre-recorded an interview uh, with a gentleman at the Center for Family and Human Rights, CFAM, uh, is how it's affectionately called by a lot of us. CFAM and his organization, you should go check it out, c-fam.org, c-fam.org, the Center for Family and Human Rights. Austin Roos is the founder and the head of the organization. It has done incredible work. It's kind of... Um, I guess it's tech, maybe it's technically an NGO, a non-governmental organization by the registration that's required, but it's up at the UN. And a lot of what it does is just track what's happening at the UN. And I uh, had this interview scheduled. I ended up doing the interview, pre-recording it. We'll play it tomorrow. Uh, one of his key people who heads up the, uh, the legal side, the Center for, uh, Law, I think it is, at the, uh, uh, at the Center for Family and Human Rights, CFAM. Uh, his name is, uh, Stefano, uh, Gianarini. I may be mispronouncing that, but we'll talk with him tomorrow about what he's seen. And it's very, very interesting to have someone who is, uh, spending their time observing the UN, the United Nations, because if you don't look at something like that every day, 
you can't really see the general direction of it. In fact, you might not notice a lot of what's happening because they don't do a lot of major press releases on, hey, we're going to be pro-abortion. We're going to be, uh, you know, uh, pro uh, anti-Christian. Uh, we're going to be, you know, uh, far left. But uh, when I speak to him, and you'll hear the interview tomorrow, you'll hear about the size and scope of the UN and the US influence uh, US influence on that on on the world because of that and you'll also hear his perspective very helpful uh to realize that even though uh the Trump administration did do a lot of things and tried to get in the right direction it really was almost uh, it's not that it was impossible it's just slow and so in fact um what people probably ought to realize is not getting a second term of Trump in places like the United Nations and other parts of the bureaucracies is probably the most devastating thing to happen because a second term of Trump after a term of Biden will almost have to restart. And so um, I, I, I will tell you the story that I relayed uh, to Stefano, uh, Stefano when we were talking, which is that um, – when I was chief of staff to the governor, the uh, reality was the bureaucrats who are burrowed into uh, government are the ones that can do the most damage. They outweigh you. They outsmart you. They know the way the levers of power work. It's really, really tough. So look forward to that. And my encouragement here in this segment is to tell you, check out the Center for Family and Human Rights, CFAM, c-fam.org. Really great group. Uh, support their work if you like what you see, and you will. And uh, just be aware of, of all the valuable stuff they're doing. All right, we got to run. Thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, our great producer. Also, Joanna Spilger, associate producer. We'll be back tomorrow, everybody. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.